So, good morning again. If you have your Bible there, we're going to look at both Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 this morning. It's on page 531 in the Church Bible. Um, I got Valerie, I asked Valerie to read from, from Romans chapter 3, and it paints a very damning picture of mankind. It says that, that man is utterly sinful. There is no one good, not one. There is no one righteous. And it's, it's, a, it's painting the, the sinful heart of man. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it, it does, as I say, paint a, a very damning picture of mankind generally. But I'll read Psalm 9 first. And yeah, Psalm 9 says, to the choir master, according to Mubeth Leban, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You've sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You've rebuked the nations. You've made the wicked perish. You've blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name, put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they have made, in the net that they, in, they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known, he has executed judgment. The wicked are ensnared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know they are but men. Let's pray and ask God's blessing. Our gracious God, we believe that these words spoken by David some 3,000 years ago were inspired by you. They carry a message of judgment, but they also carry a message of praise. And we pray that as we take just a little while to read through it this morning, that you would help us to understand the rich truths of God's word to us. Help us to listen, to understand you, and to obey you with all our heart and soul. Oh, gracious God, thank you for your precious word. Amen. So um, just at this stage to welcome back uh, Jeddah, who led us so well at the opening. It's good to have his cheerful manner up front here and especially good also to have Shane and Luana and the family back. We missed you guys very much. 
Next week, I think we'll have even more people. So, yeah, God is good. Um, some of you might know, might remember the, the incident of something called the Arab Spring. The Arab Spring was a, a kind of a, call it an uprising or a, a reaction in many of the Arab countries to oppression and to corruption in government. It began in Tunisia. It was about 2010, it was December 2010. There was a young man who was well-educated but couldn't get work and he was selling vegetables, uh, fruit and vegetables at, at a stall and it was a municipal inspector came along and basically he confiscated his goods. He just took them because he said, what you're doing is illegal. The man couldn't get work, he was just trying to survive. Sadly, he took his own life in a, in a very, very um, awful way that, that caught people's attention. And there was such an uprising, such a reaction, because basically it was the, the actions of this municipal official that he took the, the, the goods of the man, he kept them for himself, and the man was left penniless. He was just trying to survive, and it, it was so unjust that people reacted. There were many unemployed people, many political and human rights activists, there were labor and trade union activists, unionists, students, professors, lawyers, and others, and they all got together and they started protesting against the government in Tunisia so that eventually the government was brought down. But it didn't end in Tunisia, it spread to other Arab countries. So Algeria, it happened in, in, in Egypt, it happened in quite a few Arab countries that there was this reaction to corruption in government places. But eventually, order was restored and it went back to the same level of corruption and the same level of oppression again. And it's something in man that things go wrong. And when David is writing this here, he's talking about the nations, he's talking about the, the injustices in this world. We're looking at both Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 together. And in Psalm 9, he's looking especially at the, at the nations, the countries all around him. And as David is king, he's dealing with, he's looking at the injustice is rife in the world. And it's a psalm of praise. He begins with a psalm of praise, but then he's looking at all, all the injustice. And you look and you think, it is a wonderful world. It's a very, very beautiful world we live in. And yet, when you look at the world that man has made, it doesn't inspire praise in me. What God has made inspires praise, but what man has done does not inspire praise in me. The things that God has done are good, but what man has done at times causes me to shudder. And Psalm 9, as I said, it speaks of the nations that have shunned God and shut God out. And then in Psalm 10, we'll read that in a moment, he steps it on a bit and he deals not with the nations, but with his individual enemies. There is oppression, he says, there is injustice, there is need, there is suffering in the world. Why is this so? Why is it that there is so much suffering in the world? Why can't we all just get on together? You, you look around and every one of us, I'm sure, just wants to get on with our life, to have peace and quiet and have no one hassling us. And, and it's curious because that's what everyone wants and yet if you look at Ukraine and Russia at the moment, the war that's going on there, if you ask the Ukrainians, they will say, we just want to be left to get on with our lives on our own. And I'm sure if you were to ask Russian people, they would say, we just want to get on with our lives as well. It's they're causing the problems. They're 
they're making overtures to the West and, and they are part of us. And, and you look at Northern Ireland, there was conflict there for so many years between nationalists and unionists and one crowd would say, we just want peace and quiet and the others say, we want the same thing, but they don't see it the same way. And whether it's there or whether it's in Ethiopia where there's conflict at present, you'll have both sides will say, it's all their fault. They started it. And human nature will always react in that way. What is the problem? Well, the problem, and I'm sure many of you would have heard this, this story before. In, it was in 1910 that the Times of London, um, it, it sent out a, a question to people, to society, and, and it was looking for letters of reply. What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? And there were all kinds of letters sent in. And then G.K. Chesterton, the poet, sent in that very simple letter. He said, what's wrong with the world? I am. It's me. And he was basically recognizing that it's sin is the problem. And, and we saw it in this, this past week, very, very sadly, in, in England, when that woman, that nurse, murdered seven babies. And it was just evil within her, just evil. And, and people will, will, society will say, well, it's, it's our upbringing or it's our, our something that it's the atmosphere, it's, it's the way we were brought up. There's something, it's, but society does not recognize what sin is. The Bible recognizes it. People can, dis, they can scoff at the Bible and say, oh it's, oh, it's all a load of rubbish. But the Bible is accurate because it says that it's sin is the problem with man. And I'm no... Fan, I have to say, of Margaret Thatcher. Um, she had been the Prime Minister of Britain. But she said one very, very true statement one time. She said, people are casting their problems at society. And she said, and you know, there's no such thing as society. There are individual men and women. And it all comes down to people are the problem. We can blame society. We can blame anything. Sin is real. Society doesn't recognize sin as, as an existing phenomenon or whatever you'd call it, but it is real. The existence of sin is real. You can see it in the world around. You can also read about it in the Bible, which is even more important. And God will call man to account for his sin. And that's what David is saying in, in this psalm. And even though there are, there are many aspects to sin in this world, in this life, the psalmist is focused on, on one particular source of sin, one particular source of injustice, and he's not talking about the random chaos of nature. You know, there was a storm during the week, there was damage done. That's the result of the fall of man, of sin. He's not blaming chaos of nature. He's not questioning existential questions. Why is the sky blue or anything like that? He's not blaming man's sensual desires or anything. He's not even blaming the devil for the source of sin. He is basically saying it is man is the problem. It is man. And it is a bad world we live in. It's a wonderful world, as I say, but it's bad. And the baddest part of the world is man. And, and make no mistakes, animals can be pretty nasty as well. Um, but in general, I think man tops it. I, I, I've got... Um, in my garden, sometimes I have a, rob a robin will visit. And robins are very territorial in, in their, you know, they, robins will 
cover an area of maybe a half a hectare, nearly a bit bigger than an acre. That's their territory, and they will defend it against other male robins, and you'll see them you know, attacking each other, just get out of my territory. But one thing a robin will never do is say, I want more territory. I'm not satisfied with a half a hectare. I want two hectares. No, robins know I can manage this. I'll get my food, I'll get everything I need here. It's enough for me. Animals are satisfied with what they have. Man is not satisfied because man is sinful and is greedy at heart, which is why, as I said, I got, I, I got Valerie to read that very damning piece from, from Romans. But David in his psalm, he, he, he looks at the other nations, other societies. And then in Psalm 10, I'm going to read Psalm 10 now. And it says, this is, and by the way, the, the, in the original um, Hebrew Bible, it, it was one psalm, but we have divided it into two. Um, but it says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked beasts of the, for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain, curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing, deceit, and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He said, says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands, to you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. And you'd ask yourself, where is God in all the unfairness of life with corruption and greed controlling society? What about all the personal enemies that, that we have in, in the world, um, as well as the nations that are aggressive? What about the fact that there are so many personal enemies as well? And, and yet he begins this, this psalm with a note of praise, and yet most of it is focused on the evil of mankind. And at least, I suppose, it's, it's being honest in its assessment of, of, of the world. And, and you wonder, is this an evil world? Well, the reality is, I've got a phone there. 
probably all of you adults at least have phones. To open your phone, what do you do? You need your PIN number. To get into your car, you lock it. You open it with a key. Your house, you need keys. Why do you need all those things? It is because of sin, because of evil that is within man. Greed and selfishness abound, and that's what the psalmist is saying there. And yet many people will say, well, man is basically good at heart, and yet politics and laws and war and locks on your door will all say the opposite, that man is not good. You cannot be safe in this world. You safeguard your children. You safeguard the things that are important to you. And just during the week, remember, um, Bank of Ireland had a glitch. I'm sure most of us probably know that, that people who had a bank card could go to a Bank of Ireland ATM and they could get out all the money they wanted. <laughs> Even if they didn't have it, just get out your money and that's it. And they thought, no one's looking. Everyone was looking because there were queues trying to do it. They were doing what was illegal and they knew it and there were queues of people doing it. Isn't that a terrible reflection of mankind? Money that was not theirs and they're saying, I'll take it and hopefully I'll get away with it. Sin is real. If sin did not exist, we wouldn't need any laws. And we can look at our day-to-day -day lives and we have personal enemies, which is what he is saying here in Psalm 10. And they're not necessarily waiting with knives to kill you. But if you're an adult, you know what it's like to have enemies. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you're a child, even in play school, even in play school, two, three, four-year-olds, they have enemies. They don't all get on, they clash. And it doesn't stop in play school, it goes into school. And children, I don't like him, she doesn't like me, and things like that. And it goes into the workplace, all of us know that. And I suspect it even goes into nursing homes that we make enemies. We have enemies all around this world. We do not get on, it is man's sinful nature whether it's personality or privilege or whatever reason, there are people we don't like, people we don't get on with. And where is God in all of this? What is God doing about it? Where is he when I need him, we ask. And, and that's why in Psalm 10 it begins, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Where are you when I need you, God? <coughs> and many a person has asked that. Because it looks at times, it looks like God is absent from the world, which is why society says there's no such thing as God. And why, why the, the psalmist here is saying God does not see God, nothing to do with it. And that is the attitude of the modern world. And so we, we come to the, the realization that it is man who is causing the most grief in day-to-day -day life whether it's through the nations in their behavior or through society or philosophy, but basically it comes down to individuals. It's always been so on earth. And David calls God to bring justice. He's asking God, will you not bring justice about? It's been happening for the last 3,000 years since this was written, and indeed before that, in unfairness and injustice will still rule in this world. Man goes through the world as though he's not accountable to anyone, which is why people will take the money, 
from the ATM and say, if I can get away with it, I will. And it's such an attitude that causes so much grief in this world. Will there ever be justice? Will God ever call mankind to account? Because you see, it doesn't look like that if you look at the world right now. And it doesn't look like that. There's no evidence of it that is God all through history, does he bring justice about at all? Where is justice? And, and the, the psalmist here, he calls on God, he says in, in, in chapter 10, he says, break the arm of the wicked. That's a bit reactionary, but it's sometimes how you feel like doing, just I'd like to get him. It's severe, but it's understandable in verse 16. And the fact is that the individuals will face punishment eventually. We will never see justice on this earth is what the reality is. Don't ever expect that you'll see justice on this earth. You live in a fallen world. You live in a broken world where sin reigns and it is the prince of this world, the devil, who is rampant. He does not control things. Ultimately, God is in total control, but sin is real and the devil is having his way in mankind. Why is it that it hasn't changed? Well, it was something that Jesus said when the disciples rebuked the woman for, for pouring perfume on Jesus' uh, feet. And, the, and they said, why wasn't the, the, this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? And Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. You will always have the poor with you. And we live in a, in a, in a world, in a, a modern world, that is so wealthy in so many ways. And yet there has never been a greater degree of poverty in this world. Jesus was right. You will always have poverty in the world. I was just reading yesterday, actually, in, again, in Ethiopia, um, they were supplying food to the war-torn countries, to, to people who were literally starving. The UN food program was supplying food, and yet last year they had to stop supplying it because they saw this food, we're giving it to impoverished people, but somehow, well, we're sending it to these local agencies who are giving it to the impoverished, but the money is ending up on the market being sold. Someone is making money out of this. And they realized we have to stop supplying food because individuals are taking it and they're using it for personal gain. And as a result of that, people were starving. There was food to give them, but someone thought, no, I'm gonna pocket this and make the most of it. It isn't shortage of food in the world is the problem. It isn't shortage of wealth is the problem. It is the greed of mankind. It is man's behavior towards his fellow man. And it's, it's ironic, you know, but often discovering oil, discovering diamonds or other, uh, other precious minerals in a poor country, it ends up making the poor people even poorer in those countries because man's corruption a man's attitude to wealth and to his fellow man is the cause of it. We will never see justice on this earth. That's the reality. That's what Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you, not because there's a shortage, but because of man. And as long as man rules, there will be sin and there will be injustice. So how can the writer here call on God, bring justice to this world? 
they may be, you know, there is some level of judgment, there is some level of justice, that's why we have laws, they do work. But where is the hope for the world ultimately? Because if this world can never provide justice, never promise truth or purity or any good, surely is life even worth living if it's that bad, we'd ask. But we need to focus our, our, our hearts, our minds, not on this world, but on eternity. Because ultimately, that is where justice will be met. And it's a warning for all of us. Because one of the frustrating things I have to say about Christianity, and it's, it's a, a challenge to God's people, to the church in our modern world, we tend sometimes to forget about the basics of the gospel. 